I think what we saw in the last year was the early stages of the bond marketing act, bond market actually taking the printing press away. I mean, it, it did what it wanted to. It all got ascribed as predicting future rate hikes. But what happened was the bond market took matters into its own hands. It tanked. And then the Fed followed it. And then things went and they broke. And now the bond market rallied. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. From a macro standpoint, the storm clouds appear to be multiplying in number and darkening in intensity. But the markets seem to see only sunny skies ahead. The Nasdaq enjoyed its best quarterly gain in Q1 since 2020. Which outlook is more correct? To help us find out, as investors have a lot riding on the answer, we have the good fortune of speaking with investor and analyst Bill Fleckenstein of Fleckenstein Capital. Bill, it's wonderful to see you again. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me back, Adam. It's always a pleasure, Bill. Um, look, lots to talk about. Um, before I dig into the specific questions I have here, let me just start with the one I always ask you at the beginning. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Well, I think the global, well, I, I would say the G7 countries are in the process of slowing down and entering into um, low-grade uh, uh, economic real growth, whether it's going to, when it's going to exactly be recessionary, I can't say. You know, when you have a nominal number that's high and inflation, you know, you can be net-net zero real growth and not be able to really tell so easily. So, but uh, certainly the financial disintermediation that is taking place today and the blowups of the banks that have occurred and the recognition of the weak hand that so many banks have to play it, it is going to be a serious headwind for the, for the economy in credit creation, uh, in addition to the other issues that are, were, are already there. So um, it appears that China is accelerating and maybe they'll drag a few other Asian countries with it. I don't know. I don't really trust the Chinese economic data. And I don't have an opinion, but it does seem to be that's what's going on there. And that may have an impact. So you could have, um, you know, um, some places doing quite a bit better than others, but we'll see. Okay. Um, and just real quick uh, commentary on the markets, given that that global uh, econo oh, economic economic. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, there's the markets. Well, you know, obviously the equity market is probably uh, confusing to anyone with a decent amount of common sense and knowledge of history, because given the litany of problems, one wouldn't have expected this strong of a rally right out of the chute, although, you know, in the, in the first quarter, but you know, there's still passive flows, which are working. Obviously, the bond market is not as weak as it was because of the fact that the, um, the, 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 the um, feds had to respond to the banking issues. Um, and, and therefore, um, the market took that to mean that maybe the Fed hikes are almost done. I think they're done. I think events are going to overtake them. They're, they're done hiking. They're done hiking hiking for this part of the cycle. They'll have to hike again down the road, but that's another issue. Um, so events are gonna overtake them and uh, and have started overtaking them and will continue to overtake them. Events such as, um, we've already seen them break a few banks. This, this, this intermediation will continue. 
the world now seems to be much more cognizant of the fact that there are bad marks out there. They woke up to it in, with the fact that, that, that a lot of people learned probably for the first time that banks can hold things to maturity and pretend like they're at a different price than they really are. And the same thing, there's bad marks in commercial real estate, which is now getting a fair amount of press uh, and, and in venture and in um, you know, LBO land, so-called private equity. Uh, so I, th I think that there, there's a lot of there are a lot of dominoes that can, you know, can tip over on each other. Um, now the Fed has started to break something. Um, and, you know, when you're levered as, as, as we are uh, and have had as much speculative activity, the combination of the leverage, financial leverage, which is not as, as bad as it was in 08, I, mean, I don't mean to imply that, but you combine that with um, a lot of the speculation that occurred in the wake of the lockdowns and the free money, uh, you have a pretty uh, uh, um, uh, large group of potential targets of things that could 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 tip over. So, I think that the outlook for the the stock market and the economy are are weaker. The tricky part about the though the stock market is we don't know you know how you know the Fed has obviously raised rates. And it was doing QT slowly or slower than it should have been, but doing it. Now it's it, it's doing QT maybe a little bit, but its balance sheet just blew up because of what it had to do for the bank rescues. Now I don't I don't it's this new stuff is not QE. It's not the same as QE. The market might some people might have read it that way and jumped on board and helped the market action look better than it was going to. Um, but it's not it's not not stimulative either it's it's just nowhere near as powerful as QE right you know had had they had they let silicon valley bank go the way it looked like they were going to we would have had a tremendous undertow in a lot of places across a lot of fronts they didn't so we don't but we don't have that that undertow and now you get a little bit of stimulative relief from these bonds being banks being able to pledge securities at par that might be worth a lot less than that. So it gives them a little breathing room. Doesn't mean the bankers are gonna make more loans, but they might not make a lot fewer loans. Do you know what I mean? So at the margin, it's 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 um, stimulative, even though it's not QE. Okay, stimulative, but but not nearly as much as, as yeah. true QE. Not, not like handing people free money. That's yeah. stimulative. Yeah, and, and and just to help people understand this, um, so when the Fed does QE, it's yeah. it's buying assets directly from banks, mostly from yeah, the let's, primary let's dealers. Talk, let's talk about that for a second, okay? Yeah. Because one of my pet peeves, I have a lot of them, but one of them is when people say, "Well, it's QE. The money goes in the banking system and it stays in the banking system." You know, like what goes on in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. you know? and that's just not true. And I have some smart bond friends who maintain that that is true, but it's really not because what happens is the Fed injects money into the bank system. And then, you know, the, 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 whoever owned the bonds that the Fed bought now has got cash. Now, what are they going to do? They might buy a different set of bonds, but they might take that set of bonds at a price off someone's hands who might buy equities. And that other fellow that bought the equities might push up the price of something and, um, and then the price of the stock goes up and all the stock options that people have been given um, um, now all of a sudden come in. And, and then the, the, the company buys back those shares. 
So in a roundabout way, and, and uh, um, the, the company has benefited from the overall stimulus, but as the money worked its way into the system, went from the, from the banker to somebody else, and then the next thing you know, the fact that the equity market went up uh, allowed employees to get their uh, stock option compensation, which isn't counted as compensation, which is another stupid thing. Um, so <laughs> QE leaks its way into the economy for sure. It's not necessarily direct bank credit creation, which so many of the people that think that what I just said is wrong believe, but it does get in there. And right. you're saying there are these second and third order effects. That yeah. Exactly. It's like, ask yourself why, you know, when, 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 when the Fed would ease, you know, back before they printed money and they just lowered rates, um, you know, it would, it would have a knock-on effect. There would be a knock-on effect. Right. And, and, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and those things are certainly true. Not, not, not to uh, leave out the psychological factor, which what, what, what people think it means. And so they behave in a certain way. So anyway, QE is powerful. This is, was just a palliative measure that makes things a little better than they would have been. Right. And, and one of the things that makes what the banks just did not QE is that the fact it's not an asset purchase where the bank is then sitting on cash that can do whatever it wants with. This is a loan, right? The, the money that the, the Fed is right. giving to banks here has to be paid back so that the banks can't just turn around and do whatever they want with it. Right. No. But in the interim, it allows them to pursue uh, decisions that might be more normal than if they were in fire sale mode trying to save their balance sheet. Right. Which is why it's still marginally stimula stimulative. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, great. All right. So this is a good segue into the first main topic I want to dive into with you, which is the Fed. And, and you are... You know, um, you, you don't uh, hide the fact that you're you're, you're not a huge fan. <laughs> um, so number of questions for you. But I, I want to start with this recent quote made by Nuriel Rubini. Um, uh, I want to get your thoughts about it. So he says, uh, central bankers engineered a systemic addi addiction to easy credit while delaying the pain from the 2008 derivatives crash in the process. They fomented the very inflationary slash stagflationary disaster we are facing today. There is no such thing as free money. Someone somewhere will eventually have to pay the price. This means that central banks have two choices, hike rates or keep them higher, strangle liquidity and watch as various banks and companies drop like flies, or return to near zero rates and let the inflation avalanche unfold. So far, it would seem that the bankers are choosing to keep rates high um, and uh, Rubini notes that they may very well be forced to continue forward with QT as labor market issues push wages higher. And he says, in either case, the only possible outcome is a hard landing. The fantasy of a soft landing sold by many in the corporate media for the past year is being abandoned. So I'd love your reaction to that. Well, he, there's a lot of things that he said there. Um, the, the, the one, I mean, I think a soft landing is... Um, you know, fantasy, but I think a uh, hard landing from where we are right now is not a slam dunk. And I'm only keeping an open mind because I keep thinking that perhaps the Fed isn't tight enough. They haven't, you know, they were pretty slow on their QT process. Yep. And, you know, um, it's, it's, been, it's been a long time since people have seen a period of uh, sustained inflation. So now, um, you know, we're, the Fed's done what it's done. 
we're going to go into a period where sometime in the next group of months, there's going to be the base effect. And so the rate of inflation is going to come down on a year over year basis, even, even if, if over two years, it's still quite elevated, right? So, and, you know, uh, and, and one day, even though the people are kind of hoarding labor to some degree, more than they would have in the past, for sure, um, you know, we're going to get a softish labor report. I mean, the data is no good to begin with. And when they have, you know, this was kind of distorted to the upside starting out in January this year. So we're going to get a soft report. So that'll give the Fed the latitude to try to say, well, maybe we've done enough for now, right? And um, it's possible maybe the economy limps along. Maybe we go in the stagflationary period where inflation's four or five and GDP is about the same, right? So no real growth, but inflation. I'm not so sure if the stock market tanks there because a lot depends on what the bond market does, right? And you've still got the passive bid, which you know makes the market not trade the way it would have. If you could go back in history and find the exact same set of variables, which of course you can't, but if you could, and there wasn't passive, there wasn't the passive bid that comes from BlackRock and Vanguard, not talking about the ETFs, I'm talking about the passive retirement money bid. I guarantee, well, I would bet serious money the stock market would be one hell of a lot lower. And, but the fact that that helps keep it bid, and then it absorbs some bad news. So then you get some people to say, well, maybe things aren't so bad, and they pile in that kind of I'm trying to explain how we had this rally this year, especially when people's expectations were so low and maybe guys were, people were set up sort of bearishly. So now you've had this period where we've had a pretty strong, reasonably strong tape. Now we're going to go into earnings season and we'll see where the rubber meets the road. Will earnings be able to be good enough to hold up the market? I don't think earnings will be special. I think there'll be a fair amount of disappointments. Will people care? You know, we you know will we see a second quarter swoon a little bit like we saw last year? At least I think it was down last year in the second quarter. I think we could, but then does the bond market behave better? And does that kind of arrest the the the, the decline in stocks because people think the Fed is kind of I'd have done? Yeah, yeah, I just don't know. When you have this passive bid under the market, the you know you're you're really talking about at the margin what's going to happen, and so um, it's a little trickier to have a a scenario that you have a lot of faith in, you can say, I have a few different variations of outcomes that make sense to me. And I'm going to look and see which one I think is playing out. That's kind of, it's kind of where I am. Okay. Well, um, so look, first off, I, I don't envy the Fed, the position they're in. I don't think you do either. Um, no, I, I, they, wait, wait, they, so they created this for themselves. I, 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 know, I know you have no pity for them. Exactly. That's like, it's, that's, that's like the people, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> but um you know, no, no, they created this mess. They have no self-awareness. They, it's zero. This guy, Cash Carry, is the worst. You know, he was begging and begging and begging more for more inflation. Now he's, and then didn't believe it. And now he's, now he wants to talk like a tough guy. These guys are the, anyway, you don't need to hear me rant. I'll stop. Yeah. Well, well, like, as I said in the intro, I, I know very well, you were not a fan of these guys. Um, that being said, I wouldn't want to be sitting in their shoes right now. Um, so one of the challenges no, because have... to, to actually do the right thing would be extraordinarily painful and it's going to take a long time to set things right. Great. And actually, help me remember to come back to that, which is yeah. like w w what you think the right thing would be. Right. If, if I made Bill Fleck and Son Emperor, but let's not go there yet, because I got to ask you a few contextual questions here. So, you know, as Rubini said here, you know, he said, look, you know, that really the big thing that's making now different than the previous past couple of decades for the Fed is they're being checked by inflation, right? 
Mm-hmm. And just, you know, a couple of days ago, um, you know, OPEC just initiated this surprise production cut, right? And here we are the day you and I are talking here and oil's up, you know, five, six bucks uh, a barrel right now, right? So it's back above 80 bucks a barrel. Um, that is going to be inflationary for as long as as oil prices remain high and maybe grind higher if, if those production cuts uh, get increased at all at any point. And Bullard on the Fed said, ah, this, this caught us by surprise. Um, some of that might feed into inflation and make our job a little more difficult. So, you know, Powell is trying to get inflation under control. He's been, he took way too long to start tightening and hiking, but he, he did, right? And now things are starting to break, right? We, we saw the, the weaker player in the banking, players in the banking system, you know, just, just uh, we had some bank failures there. Um, we've got perhaps, um, you know, OPEC not helping the situation now, dialing the price of oil back up. Um, so, you know, when he spoke last, when Powell spoke last, which was what, you know, a week or two ago, he kept reiterating, 2% is our target. That is my goal here is to get inflation back down to 2%. He wasn't walking it back up yet. Um, so, you know, he's basically lashed himself to the, the, the wheel and said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get, to get inflation back down to 2%. Um, the market is saying, don't believe you. <laughs> the market's pricing in several rate cuts as of this year. Which one do you think is likely to happen more? Because I know you said um, you think he's done hiking, but but he could pause for a long time. I think that actually kind of is his plan. Question is, is will he be able to? Because the market certainly doesn't think he can. Well, I think he's done hiking for now. When I say now, I'm saying this year. Okay. Yep. For, for a group of months. Because events are going to overtake him. The data is going to go in a way that allow him to soften up. We'll maybe have a couple more. Maybe something else will break. Maybe something about that'll happen. I just don't think they're going to be hiking and going to feel the need to hike. Again, it's easy to talk tough. Now, Adam, I know you work out. I see some of your videos. I mean, I used to be a CrossFitter myself. And a lot of guys are going to say, well, look, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get so I can do 20 dead hang pull-ups. Well, how many can you do now? Well, I can't do any. Well, you're going to have to spend a lot of time in the gym and hard work. You'll get there. And, you know, most people, it's a lot harder than they think. And when it gets really hard, a lot of times people stop doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm using a physical world analogy. It's That's a great analogy. It's easy to talk about. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And the, people paint Powell like the second coming of Volcker. I mean, that's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. I mean, he, he helped create this mess. And look at his predecessors. He maybe looks good compared to Yellen and Bernanke. But now that Yellen's a treasurer, you, and she said some of the things she said in the last couple of months about the banking system, you can see how little grasp she has of the overall picture. Anyway, back to the market. You were talking about the bond market. Another one of my pet peeves is when everyone writes, everything that gets discussed about the bond market seems to be whatever the bond market did on whatever the news, it gets written as how many rate cuts or hikes did it price in out over the next group of months? Mm-hmm. That's the current way it gets described. Well, let's pretend that didn't exist. People would say, well, the bond market was up today because uh, it looked like inflation pressures were abating or the data was softer. And the bond market would be allowed to bounce around on expectations of what people had about how it was going to play out. Remember that a lot of people have different perspectives in the bond market. Some people care about the next five minutes, some the next two weeks, some the next five years, some the next 20 years. So you've got all these players and all this data and all the influences. 
And to think that every single day, the net effect of all those is some, some uh, game where we're trying to decide where the rate hikes are going to be six, eight, nine, 12, 18 months. That's just ridiculous. What happens is the bond market moves, it sets up a price, and then you can say, well, based on where the 10-year is today, in five years, that means that if the yield curve has a certain shape, that the Fed funds rate's got to be this. And since the Fed funds rate is somewhere else now, we're going to impute hikes or cuts based on that. So you can make up every day there's motion, you can say that we've priced in or not priced in more stuff, sorry, more hikes or more cuts. But do you think really people are thinking about that all day long? No, they're reacting to the data and the curve takes the shape it does based on what people think the outcomes are going to be. So I bring that up because when you describe it the way you did and the way the media tends to and the, is that, well, all that matters is the Fed, the Fed's in charge. I would argue the Fed's not been in charge. The market was pricing in the fact that the Fed was way behind the curve for quite a while. Then something broke. People thought maybe there's a little run to safety. Maybe thought the economy would get worse. Maybe think inflation will come down. Maybe they're gaming the, the rollover in the data. Inflation is going to cool and guys are playing for a rally over the next three or four months. All of those things are, are more likely than pricing in a new level of rate cuts or rate hikes. So I got off on that rant. Now I forgot what the question was. <laughs> well, so the, the main question boils down to the fact that, that Powell and the Fed are, are still committed to fighting inflation. Recent so developments say, like the oil production cut are inflationary, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's it's making them, you know, they've got to commit even more. But if you look at the bond market, it seems to be suggesting that the Fed is going to be cutting later this year. And so there's a real mismatch between those, what the Fed is saying and what the market's expectations are. Yeah. Some people played for a rally in the bond market and it made it set up in a way that looks like you can make the argument the Fed's going to cut later this year. That's right. what I have to say. Anyway, um, um, I, I think the OPEC move is a negative for the U.S. as a country because it's like the Saudis are saying to us, look, you, apparently there was some sort of behind the scenes deal that, that, that we would refill the SPR if the prices dipped to where they did and we didn't. So the Saudis are now kind of thumbing their nose at Biden saying, look, you didn't keep your word. I, you know, the fact that they're willing to do this just goes to show you you know, the, 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 that, that some of the fecklessness of the administration is now starting to cause problems in other areas. Mm -hmm. I think that can spill over into the dollar a little bit too. And, you know, this BRICS plus, they're making progress. I'm not saying there's a replacement coming for the, for the dollar because I don't think that's true, but there are things that might make people want to own them less. Uh, sorry, be less eager to own dollars. Um, <clears throat> um, um, and so I don't, I, 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 back to the economy, and, and the OPEC and the inflation impact. Yes, but I, I, I'd have to go look and see where we were year over year. So we got to look at refined products and the whole stream of stuff that comes out of a barrel of oil and say year over year, is that going to add inflation pressure right here right now or not? I haven't looked, so I don't know. But um, I think the Fed is going to be more focused on, there's going to continue to be pressure in the bank system because disintermediation is going to continue. You know, we saw this in the 80s when they jacked rates you know, and money funds came into existence, money just kept flowing out of the bank system. Well, so people are going to move, keep moving that money. So that'll create pressure in the bank system. I don't, I, I think the Fed can easily rationalize the OPEC. You know, they can say, well, we'll see what happens. You know, it's not like the market did it. They did it, you know, I mean, so yeah, it's going to create inflation, but are we going to 
you know, hike more because of what the Saudis did. I mean, they, they can rationalize their way around that if they want to, I believe. And I think they're going to want to. Okay. So I guess the core thing I'm, I'm trying to get to here is, um, let's say you're right. Let's say the Fed stops pausing, right? And, and, and another reason they may, sorry, starts pausing. They stop hiking, they pause. Um, Pal has said, you know, I, I want to stop hiking soon and pause. And I'm probably going to pause for like the year, like into 2024, because I want to, I want to wait to see the yeah. lag effect of and, all the and, hikes and, they've and, done. And to be fair, that's not unreasonable. They, you know, when they, when they took forever to start moving, now they've moved a lot. It, it's not unreasonable to say in an isolated case, we've done all this. Let's, let's kind of see how it sorts out. We've done a lot. That's a fair statement. I think. Yeah. And, and I've been actually saying for months, I think that's the, the right course here, right? I mean, I, I think he should pause. In fact, I think he should have paused a while ago. Uh, just to make sure he's not in danger of over tightening, but you know, let, let's find out. You can always turn things back on again, hiking wise, if you if you realize that it wasn't. Um, but where I'm going with this is the the market seems to think that he is not going to be able to pause for very long. And kind of the big question I'm trying to get to is is what would cause him to start cutting rates to pivot, right? Which the market's been hoping for for a long time, and. A question that's been posited on this channel a lot recently is, given his really, you know, direct stated commitment to, I'm going to do everything it can to get inflation under control, if he were to start cutting rates as soon as the summer, which is what some of these market predictions are suggesting, would that have to be something pretty bad? Would that have to be a pretty painful breakage and therefore maybe not necessarily necessarily something that's particularly bullish for the markets? Probably. Uh, I, I, whereas where I said I, I didn't think he was uh, going to hike anymore, I don't think he's on the verge of cutting. I think, now listen, had, the, had Silicon Valley Bank met the outcome that the letter of the law said it should have met going into that weekend, mm -hmm. I think the collateral damage would have been severe in that there would have been businesses that couldn't function quite properly. There would have been a lot of damage in, you know, distress sales of this, that, and the other thing. It would have spilt over, would have scared people even more, blah, blah, blah. And so that probably would have teed up enough damage to, 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 to potentially say they could cut maybe in a group of months if the right data showed up. But um, so I think that they're not going to get that. I, I, it, it'll take something else. It'll take some other kind of accident if we get, you know, bad. I think if earnings get bad enough, uh, maybe this, but the stock market, I said, I think it's been pretty resilient. So unless we get an air pocket, uh, I don't think the stock market alone can do it. Um, I don't think the economy will deteriorate fast enough. So I don't really know if we're going to see any cuts this year, like the, like you're saying, the market is saying, um, but um it's possible, but it, it it would take something pretty severe, I think. Okay, um, you know, so your, your, your default is that is that Fed pauses for the year and, and lets us absorb some pain, right? I mean, it's staying at five percent or whatever, right? I mean, that that's a pretty high cost of capital on a relative basis from what this economy is used to. We're going to have those lag effects, you know, hitting us month after month or you know for for quarters. Powell has been warning us that, like, look, getting inflation under control is not going to be painless. So I guess what you're, what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is he's going to let us endure pain as long as it's 
slow and progressive and you know inflation's coming down through all of that as you said it very well may, may likely for just other reasons as well um unless something really truly bad happens and if that then does force the fed to pivot that's probably not a super bullish moment for no i wouldn't yeah. think so i wouldn't think so okay yeah. all right let's just assume for a second that the fed does pivot. Let's say something breaks bad enough to force the Fed to pivot at some point this year. Let's say the market is right. Earlier, when you've been on this program, I believe I heard you say, uh, if if the Fed is is you know pivots before it's got inflation under control, that may be the moment where it loses the confidence of the bond market. Where the bond market says, you know what, Fed, you're a clown. You're either a clown or you're just impotent, and and we don't trust. Uh, anymore that you're going to get it under control. And therefore, we're going to start demanding a lot higher yields going forward for this this incremental risk uh, or, or this this renewed secular risk. Um, do you still feel that way? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think I think what we saw in the last year was the early stages of the bond marketing act, bond market actually taking the printing press away. I mean, it it did what it wanted to. It all got ascribed as predicting future rate hikes. But what happened was the bond market took matters into its own hands. It tanked. And then the Fed followed it. And then things went and they broke. And now the bond market rallied. So I think the bond market has done that to a large degree. It didn't get described that way. Uh, as I said, they always talk about the Fed in, in, in a manner that makes you think the Fed's totally in control, which I don't believe that they are. But um, I mean, they do have a lot of sway. But uh, um, so I think that they're going to get a period to declare victory. I think this, I don't know. I think this is a high, a decent probability in the next group of months. They'll get it. They'll get a chance to kind of declare victory. Inflation will be coming down for reasons we talked about because of the base effect. Maybe economic data will soften and they'll be able to say, yeah, we're, we're, things are going in our, in our way. We're pausing. They're feeling good. Um, and then somewhere down the road, something will happen and they'll start easing again. You know, they'll have the and, 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 and inflation won't have been brought back down under control. And in that next cycle, I think people will be critical and you, they, might, they might really lose control of the bond market. So I think the stage has been set. They've already it's kind of already happened. But now we're going to be in a period where they're not going to be tested. That that'll come again. Now, if we look to Japan. The bond market tried to take the printing press away, and they did an unlimited amount of YCC, yield curve control, and they got the yields back to where they wanted them to. And fortunately for them, the yen's rallied. I mean, the, the yen was tanking. They did a bunch of intervention. Now, wink, wink, nod, nod. It's pretty clear YCC is going to end one of these days. I think that's why the yen is held together. Um, and when so the bond market was trying to take the printing press away from the Japanese, which is a decent place to look since they did it first and longest. And then they now they've won a little victory, but they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna stop YCC, I believe, sometime in the next group of months, next quarter or two, when the new guy gets entrenched, and uh, and then we'll see where rates go. But that will be the, we we could look back and say, well, the bond market took the printing press away, they panicked one last time, but it forced them to abandon YCC, and now we'll see where things go. So you know these things aren't like binary and happen like right next to each other is a time lag and events have to play out but I th that's where i think we are okay um that's really interesting so is it safe to say that uh maybe japan may be giving us a preview of what you think is to come uh kind of it's a little bit different in that uh 
if they do the, if they abandon yield curve control, which I think they will, I think the yen's going to rally. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if the bond market was taking the printing press away from the Fed in a visible way down, went down the road. I don't know if the dollar would rally, but yeah, Japan's a good litmus test because they were first and biggest and, and, and baddest at, at, at doing all of this financial engineering, sorry, financial market intervention. All right. And so I'm curious then, just looking at the Japan playbook, if, and I know, I know we're a couple of steps down the road here from when the Fed has, you know, after it's paused and it's gone back to hiking and then the, or gone back to uh, easing and then the bond market uh, tries to take the printing press away again. Would you expect the next, the next response here in the U.S. would be yield curve control the way that it was in Japan? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm still I'm still stuck with the mindset that I had of the last 30 or 40 years when we had financial markets and uh, and, 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 and response and somewhat responsible governments. You know, I never knew free. I never knew I never knew suppressing free free speech would be so popular with the mainstream media, for instance. Mm -hmm. you know, there's things I said, well, no, that can't happen. Um, you know, so I, 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 I from a math standpoint, I can see where the government would feel the need to want to do yield curve control. It seems so third worldish or Japan like I can't really believe it, but we've already had NERP and ZERP and QE, so I guess they would. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that they will, but I can certainly see how they could. And we have the the debt ceiling may be more dis, disruptive this go round because we've got such extraordinary contentiousness between the left and the right, uh, although in many cases. The politicians are all the same. They're just grifters. But anyway, that's another issue. Um, um, so we could have we could have something. There's confidence. Some confidence could get lost as we rattle through this um, debt ceiling. I mean, at some point, people may examine carefully the fact that you know, thirty trillion is a lot of debt, even if it is for the USA. And they might notice that the the, the Fed is actually their balance sheets broke. Just like other central banks. Now, when you have a printing press, it's not a day-to-day -day problem. But if you start to have a confidence issue, you I could see how those things could blend together. And they we could get in a point in time where someone like Yellen, who doesn't know very much, could you know, contemplate do yield curve control. It'd be a very bad idea. I would send the metals to the moon, I think. Um, and there'd be plenty, there'd be ways to make money out of it. I I, I hope they don't do it. Uh I, I kind of don't think they will, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they did. Okay, and, and just for viewers that don't understand what yield control, yield, yield curve control is, it's basically the government trying to prevent bond yields from going higher by stepping in and just buying them all, basically over time. Yes, they say that we're, we will buy an unlimited amount of money at ten-year bonds at three fifty. And then, so it, the yield can't travel above 350 in theory. Right. And of course, the, the, the price you pay for that usually is your currency really takes a whack as, as the yen did relative to most other currencies at that time. You, you made a comment. I just want to clarify here briefly for viewers too, Bill, talking about the, the Fed having a balance sheet problem. Uh, there's a chart that you uh, retweeted on Twitter. I'm going to put up here real, real briefly. Okay. Yeah. Um, showing that the Fed is, quote, insolvent to the tune of $44.2 billion. Uh, and, and you can see here its unrealized losses uh, just basically plunge um, in the past you know, quarter or so. Um, can you just explain what you what you mean by yeah. the, the Fed actually having so, a balance sheet problem? I mean, yeah. I mean, 
as we all know, the Fed has a printing press and it's pretty effective. It, you know, it can print dollars and buy what it needs to buy, create credit and buy what it needs to buy. Um, and uh, uh, so thinking about them having a negative, negative equity on the balance sheet or being technically bankrupt doesn't really mean much because they got the printing press, but it might cause the average person or the average you know, policymaker to think twice about well, what does it mean that central banks now they're, they're, they're broke? I mean, it, in other words, it can impact. Remember, banking is about confidence. And as we've seen, when you lose a little confidence, you can have a run on a bank, which is perversely what the Fed was set up to you know, stop. That's why it was created. Remember to stop bank runs. Um, um, uh, so it, 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 it's possible that um, we could get to a point where um, you know people don't have as much confidence in the dollar or the U.S. government. Or, or these are these are very subjective variables. But as we saw in the banking system, once you start to lose confidence, it's hard to get it back, and it can spiral quickly. So if the debt negotiations bring more focus on our, our debts or something else triggers a focus on the central bank's balance sheet, you might, people might start to say, you know, start looking at, at, at it was just a big money printing fest and, and, and misallocated capital. And then people might not be so sanguine or financial market types might not be so sanguine with what's going on and they may, you know, position themselves differently. So if psychology start, if confidence starts to erode, and there's no telling exactly how that's going to manifest itself, but it's generally not bullish for financial assets. Okay. All right. Um, well, I, I want to just quote you from your tweet here as we leave this uh, chart. You say, um, it's a great chart, uh, slowly than all at once. Uh, there's no practical way to leave QE or NERP without causing lots of pain. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're seeing it. I, I think... I bastardized that. I think I stole that from Kyle Bass. I think he was the first one that said that. I say it all the time like I thought of it, but I think he did. Someone else did, but I think it was him. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is when these, when these central bankers have been intervening aggressively in markets for quite some time, but really since QE began, and then when we went to NERP over there, I mean, NERP in Asia and, uh, and ZERP, I'm sorry, NERP in, in Europe and, and Europe. NERP over here, um, you know they really they really distorted markets and you you once you do that especially when you come into it with as much debt and misallocated capital as we had we had because of the, how long they did it there's no there's no when you go on as long as they did there's no painless way relatively painless way to to get out right um uh and so things start to break and you, and you just can't do it we have too much debt we have too much misallocated capital i mean look look at how quickly they bailed out the unsecured depositors at Silicon Valley Bank. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are really happy that they did that. And on a, on a personal level, I'm glad that people didn't have to take pain as a consequence of not knowing how the banking system works. But on the other hand, this is we're supposed to be in capitalism. Right. You make a mistake like that, you're supposed to have to pay a price. Now, I read that, you know, from credible sources that that in a if they'd if we'd gone down the, in the old, if we'd have done the Old Testament version of a bank failure, the unsecured creditors, sorry, the unsecured depositors still would have gotten eighty five or ninety cents back. 
that wouldn't have been great. But but I would say anyone who had the you know large amounts of money there can afford to take the hit and and should have had to take the hit. Now I understand not wanting to see businesses pummeled and all of that. I'm sympathetic to that. But I think they could have constructed a bailout that would have stopped you know individual businesses from getting destroyed because they had over the 250 and not just bailing out everybody who 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 didn't protect themselves because why should why should i bother you know why should people bother to protect themselves and do it right if if you do it wrong you can get the benefits that they got from being you know having their money at silicon bank like the sweetheart mortgage loans and all the stories you read about and then you don't pay the price now you know the people that didn't know that they shouldn't have over 250 in the bank i, I don't know anyway I, like I said, I don't want people to see take pain, but that would have been a perfect moment to try to point out that we're well, this is a capitalistic system, and when you make mistakes, like for instance, when uh, John Corzine managed to put MF Global into the dirt, I, I that's where I was trading my commodities, right? And I wound up selling my claim at ninety three or four cents in the dollar, so I took a small hit because I didn't want to wait forever to get the money back. And I didn't know if it was going to come back and they did. So, I mean, that wasn't my fault. I didn't know that Corzine was going to be able to do that, but you know, it happened and you just have to take the medicine and they didn't make anybody take any medicine. Yeah. Um, uh, got a whole bunch of other, other questions I want to get to here, but, but um, you know, it, it Look, in in one sense, I understand the swift intervention to show yeah. the world that, hey, we're not going to let, you know, a meltdown happen in the banking system. But at the same time, to your point, you know, it really does seem to um, encourage moral hazard uh, to a certain extent because, yeah, hey, Silicon Valley Bank had crappy risk management pro protocols. Yeah. But why does it matter if you're going to get backed 100 percent? They could have said they could have said, look, we're going to make all the corporations had corporate deposits their whole or something like that. But if you personally were an individual and had more than, I don't pick a number, several million dollars, you're going to have to take the haircut that you're going right. to have to take. Right. And if you're a big VC company that was there, you know, you're going to take your haircut. Exactly. But if you're, if you're using exactly. it for payroll, we'll cover exactly. payroll 100 percent. Yeah, we'll like let that. businesses yeah. get their checks. You know, there's, there would have been a way to, 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 to handle the banking inconveniences and make sure that only people that took the pain had, you know, a fair amount of wealth. So they didn't do that. And that was a bad precedent, I think. All right. Well, this is a good segue to the last question on the Fed, and then I want to get into a couple other topics here, um, which is, okay, uh, Bill, through through an act of uh, Congress or God, um, you are now made uh, emperor, and um, you get to decide what we do next with our central bank policy. What would you do? Resign. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can do uh, that after you fixed the issue. <laughs> look. You'd have to be honest with people and say, look, we've pursued 30 years, but really the last 15 of really reckless policies. And we are going to not be able to do that anymore. And we're going to have to, I would go back to a monetarist approach, something like Volcker did, where they had a ban for the M's. You could try to do some variation of a, of a gold standard or something like that. You have to take the seat of the pants option away from the Fed. The reason it, the, the Volcker was able to break, break, break the back of inflation was because pursuing a, you know, a, a, a band for the M's 
the money supply targets, <clears throat> allowed them to, you know, let rates float where they needed to. And so they could, you know, they weren't directly necessarily making rates go. They had, they said where they were, where, where the band had to be. And, and, and then it kind of, you know, they set that target, but it kind of, they had to sit back and see what happened. That, 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 that's a soft variation of a, of a gold standard, right? That's a, okay. Of course we went off that Greenspan didn't take him long to get off that. And, you know, then they've been flying by to the seat of their pants, you know, forward guidance and, you know, all these other things that they've done. Um, and so you'd have to set this up and say, look, we have a, we have a, a generational problem here. And as part of that, you'd have, you, you, you'd have to say, look, the, we're only going to let the money supply grow so much or, you know, cause you're not going to get people back on a gold standard and rates are going to go where they go. And it's going to be a painful couple of years. Go back and look at 80, 81 or 79, 81. But the problem is now the debt in the country is so high that you, 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 you would have to force then some responsibility in the part of Congress, which seems like impossible, right? I mean, these people are just so epically clueless. Because you're going to have to do something about entitlements and the crazy spending that we have. And these, there's no cost benefit analysis on anything. And we've got so much spending. But, but, but without the discipline of an inability to rescue everything with printing more money, you, you would, the, the government would be forced to fix, to deal with the issue. One of the side problems that the Fed has created and other central banks in their countries is by pursuing these policies that's allowed the can to be kicked while we've grown these, these uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the size of the, the, of the national debt to where it is now, 31 trillion or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's been no reeling in of the programs. One of my hopes in 08 was that we would look at the, at the, off, you know, at the liabilities of the country and start to figure out a, a way to deal with Medicare and Medicaid and all the these programs where we, we don't really have the, the demographics or the workforce to support these going prospectively, and those are going to cause a problem. So you, you'd have to sit people down and say, look, here's the problem. This is going to take a while to fix, and we got to fix it across the broad front. Now, you can imagine the screaming and yelling and hate, cancellation and all the things that would happen. You know, it's, it's not going to happen, but that's what you would need to do. That's what you're going to have. Eventually, we're going to have to do that. All right. Um, yeah, whether we want to or not, and it sounds like, you know, we're probably not going to get there pro proscriptively. It's no. probably going to be something like a bond market revolt or whatever that Definitely. just, as you yeah. say, yeah. rests the printing press out of the hands of the Fed. Yeah. 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 Okay. Not trying to depress people, but just trying to be realistic. Oh, well, about that, how we and that's not, that's not tomorrow's business anyway. That's out there ways, but that's right. coming. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, on a nearer term basis, um, so uh, I, I I can't tell you how many times that I reference uh, your uh, giant mindless robot uh, that I think you and and Mike Green have talked about. Right, how when there are capital inflows, given all the the algorithmic sort of ETF buying that goes on, it just goes into a, a huge chunk of that goes into just a few stocks in the market. Right. So as long as there's capital inflows going on, you have all this big buying pressure in these these stocks that prop up the indices. Um, we actually have seen liquidity, uh, you know, in recent months uh, move up upwards. And, and maybe that's, you know, a, a healthy part of the explanation for why we came off the October lows and stocks have been resilient as of late. 
Um, my question for you is, um, are, are we seeing maybe a liquidity trap here for bulls? Because there's a number of things that could be resulting in a liquidity crunch, or at least contracting liquidity um, in, the, in the coming quarter. And let me just run through a couple of things, then I'll let you react. Um, one is that M2 is, is still contracting the most on record right now. Um, one of the things that uh, what was sort of the, the Fed is still tightening, right? It's still doing QT, even though it's doing the with the other hand, it's it's helping the banks out. Um, one thing that Powell talked about um, at his last press conference is, is he said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm not going to promise that we're going to hike next time round. You know, we're thinking about it, but we, we, we're going to we're going to watch, right? And then we're going to make our decision. And and one new factor now is that we expect." Um, lending standards to tighten in the wake of what's happened in the banking system, and that mm -hmm. that is going to have the same effect as mm -hmm. additional rate hikes. And so we want to watch that closely, right? Um, just want to mention this quick quote here. Um, credit standards have tightened significantly already. This is not um, Powell, but it's from Bloomberg. Uh, credit standards have tightened significantly already, and the credit impulse of the economy, both in the U.S. and Euro area, have deteriorated rapidly, according to their respective Bloomberg indices. Both are below the March 2020, uh, 2021 low. So you have all that going on, plus you have um, what's been contributing, I think, to the, the recent uptick in liquidity has been that the Treasury, Janet Yellen, has been spending from the Treasury general account because we're at the, uh, the debt limit. Uh, and those are the, her sort of extraordinary emergency measures that she's using to keep the economy going. Once the debt ceiling gets lifted, which I think everybody is pretty confident it's going to be, she is going to have to, by law, begin to refill the TGA. And it's going to be basically ending the, the flood of money, the hundreds of billions that have been going out of the TGA and, and, and forcing capital back into uh, bonds, which might be taking some of that money out of the economy, too. So do you see the potential for the sort of reversal of liquidity coming up relatively soon? And then that obviously impacts what the giant mindless robot's doing. Uh, it, it, it could. I mean, remember, the, 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 the robot reacts to the flows from corporate America, not signals from the market. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what the bond market does would only indirectly impact them if it changed their balance and they don't rebalance the 60, 40, 70, 30, depending on your own target very often. So I don't know that that would upset that. Um, but again, I think this debt debt ceiling negotiation could be quite contentious, um, more so than usual. And who, who knows the way the way the way people are thinking now, like I keep saying that there, there could be a catalyst for some sort of mm, different action that comes out of that. I, I don't know. So the whole TGA account and how this is all, I mean, Q, the Fed had didn't go at QT as hard as it could have. I think one of the things that, that one of the first things to go for them probably will down the road when they start going the other way might be QT. And, you know, maybe that'll happen during the debt negotiations. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. All right. I, I was trying to get a sense for, you know, do, do you, do you have a concern that liquidity could start drying up here? Uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound yeah, like mean, it's a major I, issue for you right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think the action in the market is more a function, stock market is more a function of changed expectations than it has been a, a, a liquidity function. 
So I, I don't think liquidity changed that drastically, other than the fact that the balance sheet did go up a ton and it's not, not QE, even though it's not QE. So, you know, it's hard to parse these intangible variables that are just big and amorphous, right? I, 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 I don't really... I don't really have a strong opinion about exactly what liquidity is going to do in the next quarter or so. Okay. All right. Um, well, then let's look at some things that the market should be looking at. Like we just got the latest PMI and ISM data, um, and it doesn't look great. Um, right. So global PMI is um, it's up from February, but it's still the fifth straight month of contraction, right? Under 50. ISM manufact manufacturing uh, dropped. It's the fifth straight month uh, of contraction uh, and the lowest since May 2020. I, I just pulled those this morning right before I got on here with you. But I mean, as I sort of said in the intro, if you look at the macro data, it's not telling a super optimistic story about where things are headed no. here. Right? No, no, no. Um, Again, that's why the Fed's going to be in a position of being able to pause and feeling good about themselves, I think. Yeah. And so I guess where I'm going with this is, is like, like this morning, um, McDonald's just announced that they're going to be laying off thousands in the future, right? Um, and it's because they're seeing less demand amongst lower income consumers at their restaurants now. So, you know, it's sort of like we're seeing all these recessionary indicators here from the inverted yield curves and, you know, the soft PMIs and, and you know, this these layoffs that are now outside of big tech and they're now getting into the, the general economy here. Um, the, the market... You said that you think that the, the recent rise in the market is because of sort of changing expectations. When is the market going to look at the data and say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe we get to change your expectations back because it looks like the economy is really contracting here or at least slowing could, fast. It could be during earnings season. I mean, I think earnings season will be a good litmus test for what the equity market wants to do. We'll see how bad the data, how bad the data has become, you know, in Q1 and what, how the you know, guys running their people running the businesses feel about, you know, the next quarter or two. Right, so I think, I think we'll get a better sense when we get to the Q1 earnings reports and then we'll have, you know, some, some sense. It's, it's almost impossible to guess without getting, getting to that. I think. With getting some data from that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and how worried are you about, uh, and we're getting, I'm getting to your general sort of market outlook in just a second, because I know that that's what folks really want to hear, but um you know, there are a couple other shoes that could be dropping in the story here. Um, and increasingly, you mentioned this earlier, uh, commercial housing, commercial real estate is getting a lot of press right now um, about this, the, the potential risk there. And I think one of the things that brought that to the forefront is the big banks, um, they tend to have a lot more uh, on their, their loan books in almost every other kind of, um, of uh, credit category. But not in commercial real estate. That that is predominantly owned by the the smaller banks, and by the smaller banks, I mean kind of everybody who's not in the top ten. Right. Um, and uh, you know, there's a. <laughs> it just does not look good for that market. Um, Blackstone, who has a you know they've been in the media a lot recently, um, where they had uh, a bunch of their investors trying to get out of their their big commercial real estate REIT, um, the number of redemption requests have now surged to four and a half billion. <laughs> uh, but so far, they've only been able to pay out about uh, two thirds of a billion. Uh, and, and they're kind of slow rolling the ability of people to take money out of there. Um, right. They also, Blackstone defaulted recently on a half a billion bond um, that was um, uh, that owned offices in 
Finland, I think, or whatnot. So it's not a systemically important American story yet, but it's showing that they're willing to just say, hey, yeah, we're not going to pay, right? So um, uh, how, how worried are you about commercial real estate here? I, I know the loans themselves maybe probably weren't as bad as loans made back before 2008, Yeah, but but the outlook for the space, definitely, you can make a pretty good argument with you know, the whole remote work uh, right. yeah. argument and the higher mortgage rates and all this stuff, it just, it, it does not look look promising. It looks yeah. like it's going to be hard to avoid defaults there. Yeah, but I, I think that's a, that, that, those problems are a little slower moving because each building is probably somewhat unique and the paper on it's different and the holders are different. And, you know, those things take, are going to take a while to work out. But I think that's going to be a, a, a problem for, you know, a couple of two, three years as we, all that paper, um, um, you know, um, comes due and has to get re recast and all of that. Um, so I don't, uh, but I think, again, when people start reading about and other investors not being able to get their money, that 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 lack of confidence and that bit of scare spreads. Like if you see, and 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 I think it'll get worse for the Blackstone. You know, I mean. Uh, it's going to be a, I don't, it's going to be a, interesting to see how they get out of this pickle, um, um, but I think that doesn't instill confidence. So again, the problems of commercial. So the more you read about problems where this bank, or sorry, this building had to get refinanced, or they sold at a loss, or they they you know they gave the keys back, these kinds of things. All of those things are net net um, reduce confidence, and those kind of things are are tend to be bad for financial assets. Again. Um, the, if it wasn't for the passive bid, stock price would be much lower already, and we'd be we'd be able to look at this as kind of it would be a little easier to analyze, I think. Okay, so uh, anyways, right now we've got a market that is all of a sudden beginning to feel you know a little sanguine, a little more confident in itself. That said, you're saying there are all these issues here that are corrosive to confidence over time. So as Bill Fleckenstein looks out ahead here, what 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 is your market outlook as you look out to the rest of this year? Well, again, I mean, so there's that part which makes it that hard. The, the, there are going to be plenty of headwinds, even, even though they might not inc include more rate hikes. We got this debt ceiling negotiation. You got the disintermediation in the banking system. You got the hunt for marks that are mismarked in real estate, um, private equity, um, I mean, commercial real estate, um, and um, venture. And you got the knock-on effects of the failures we've already seen. So all of those things are net-net negative. And without a, without real liquidity injection, I don't see how the market should stock market should be able to power past those things. And earnings season ought to show us that it can't. And there's, and there, we should see some weakness in the stock market as a consequence of that. Maybe it'll be more selective. Maybe certain things that are way overpriced, like the stock, the big stocks that are carrying the entire tape. Maybe they get hammered. Maybe smaller thing, you know, or businesses that are have a, a, a strong niche right now with a barrier to entry. They can do well. They can do okay. Maybe we'll get a little sorting out. I, I hope that happens. Although, given the mechanical nature of what we've talked about about the passive and all that, it's it's hard to seem to get a sorting out process started, but it could happen. I don't, I don't, I think the stock market will have a hard time going through Q2 unscathed. And then depending okay. on how that goes, that'll give us some idea what, what's going to come next, right? Okay. 
Yeah, uh, it'll be really interesting. I, I just heard the other day that the S&P is, is actually started um, raising 2024 earnings again. Um, I heard back up to sort of the January 2022 peak. Um, they're getting back up to those levels. Um, so obviously, that's just estimates at this point. We need to actually hear the guidance from the companies, which is what you're right. saying. So we and we got to see what you know what the damage so far has done, you know, and whether investors are inclined to give them a pass. I mean, you know, Apple had a, a record shortfall in in revenues. I think it was four billion, and nobody cared, right? So you know, we'll have to see if people care. Again, psychology is going to going to enter into it when we get to the uh, earnings season as well, right? So we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, that's we'll learn, we'll learn a lot in the next you know, in the next four to six weeks. Well, well, let's talk about that for a second, um, because as, as I've been wont to say for a long, for years and years, which is you don't get a market reversal without getting a reversal in sentiment first, like a, like a, like a cyclical market reversal. Um, and uh, as painful as 2022 was for a lot of investors, the longtime investors like yourself that I've spoken to, um, you know, they said, look, we, we, we haven't seen the kind of capitulation that you see in bottoms of a bear market. And so um, I think a big kind of question that's up in the air right now is, um, are we potentially in a, in a bear market here that, that hasn't yet hit its, its bottom? And, and this is the kind of euphoric bull trap that sucks everybody back in before the bear returns. Or was last year kind of a a correction and otherwise still intact bull market cycle. Um, I'm curious if you have an opinion about that because it seems from what you're telling me, a lot of the macro stuff suggests that that macro wise we're going to be grinding downwards from here and, and, and not heading back to you know. Yeah, I, I think the chance. Road. Our interview with Bill will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel tomorrow as soon as we're finished editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. And don't forget that the replay video of Wealthion's recent and very excellent online conference is now available for purchase over at Wealthion.com conference. And finally, if the challenges that Bill has detailed in this interview has you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your wealth, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your wealth, keeping in mind the trends, risks, and opportunities that Bill's mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next over in part two of our interview with Bill Fleckenstein. Thank you.